I don't ever ask them where they're from. I ask them, where were you born and where have you lived up until now? So then they have a chance to kind of tell their story. Because if I ask them where they're from, it's like, I have this passport, this passport. My parents are from this culture. I grew up in six different countries. I don't know where I'm from. Hi, I'm Jessica. And I'm Girish. And this is the Destiny Benders podcast, where we explore the impact of international education on the lives of students and professionals from across the globe. It's a podcast for international educators, by international educators, and about international educators. And in each episode, we'll be meeting with Destiny Benders of our industry. We'll look beyond the job title and really get to know the people whose mission it is to change lives and bend destinies. Our guest today is Jenny Tassel, head of the counseling department at the International School of Panama in Panama City. Jenny, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you you here today, Jenny. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Garish and Jessica. I'm really excited to be here. So Jenny, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons we started this podcast is because we know a lot of people in the industry, but we don't really know them. I mean, you and I, we've seen each other at conferences for years. We hang out, we go dancing sometimes, but I really don't know much about you. So why don't you kick us off and just kind of walk us through your journey of how did you end up where you are today? Well, I was born and raised in the Republic of Panama in this kind of dystopian kind of society um, uh, called the Canal Zone. Um, so it was like this, I don't know what to even call it. It was, a, it was a, a crazy upbringing. It was kind of like a U.S. bubble within, within the country of Panama. If you picture kind of um, like a bubble inside of Panama, where everything was in English, the uh, American foods were brought into the commissaries, you know, you had this great kind of childhood of running around barefoot in the tropics and when the and and a lot of like safety and comfort. And then when the like streetlights went on at night, that's when you know you had to go home. So it was quite like a, a privileged kind of utopian existence that I grew up in. But it also kind of had this flip side of in order to have that kind of utopian society, there had to be people that were kind of not suffering for its existence that I didn't really recognize as as a kid. But my childhood was, um, you know, going to Department of Defense schools and both of my parents worked in the Canal Zone area. My dad was a Panama Canal pilot. So in the canal, the um, ship captains are not allowed to take their own vessels through. They have to have a Panama Canal pilot board the ship and take it from the Atlantic to the Pacific or Pacific to the Atlantic. So it was this really like incredible kind of one of a kind unique job um, where he worked for about four years. And but he was also a captain in the Navy because they used to have military bases here in Panama. Um, So we had this kind of dual role. And then my mom was a nurse for the Army Hospital, the Gorgas Hospital. And so we ended up in Panama because my grandparents actually worked um, for the canal, uh, one as a, um, a carpenter and the other as a lawyer. And so we're, I'm actually third generation from Panama, but first generation born. So we have this very long history 
within the, the canal zone. And yeah, I, that was pretty much my childhood. I don't know how deep you want me to go into like the uniqueness yeah, of the canal zone, I mean, because I can give you <laughs> historical context and um, about the, we the, should probably the, do a podcast just on the canal zone sometime. And this is absolutely fascinating. I, yeah. I mean, I had no idea about any of this. Panama obviously seems like a fantastic country, but not one I've ever really looked into. So Jenny, I'm just listening to you and I'm astounded this. Wow. Well, you know, you can't say the good um, without the bad, right? Because I think as a child, you want to feel protected. You want to trust that everything around you is is for a reason and is for good. And um, I can't deny that I had a very like comfortable, safe childhood. You know, there were there were things that were like a little bit dangerous at times where we had to um, leave Panama because of the invasion in 89. And that was kind of scary. And that was a whole thing. But it's the the canal zone itself is kind of like this unincorporated territory that existed for almost technically, it was more like 80 ish years somewhere from like, I think 1903 to 79, when then Jimmy Carter um, signed the treaty where then it wasn't officially the canal zone, but it kind of still existed. And it kind of, st- the, the foundation of the canal zone was kind of built on this inequity and um, racial tension and where the Americans, which only I think was like 15% of the workforce were kind of paid on this gold standard where everything was taken care of. And that was my family. I mean, we had housing paid for, um, you had your food, uh, not food, but electricity, everything, schooling, everything was paid for and provided for. There was even kind of this joke that if you needed to change a light bulb, you called Panama Canal Commission and they come to your house and they would change your light bulb. But then like the flip side is that there were people from Panama that could not enter into the canal zone. And there was a lot of, a lot of inequality Um, a lot of racism, a lot of things that were not okay, but I didn't realize until I, um, they turned over the canal back to Panama when I was in my sophomore year of high school. And then I started actually leaving the canal zone and going into the city and widening my friend group and realized like, oh, this was not okay. Uh, And we'll we'll get to that because I think Mm -hmm. that may have, I'm guessing, influenced your career and what you do for a living. So before we get to that, though, so then you left Panama to go to college in the U.S. What happened? Yeah, I um, so when when the canal turned over and I went to this kind of like new school that was started for people that were staying in Panama that didn't leave because most of the people in the canal zone left when they turned over the canal. Um, and they moved to the U.S. I um, didn't really know like anything. I I known because my two older sisters studied in the U.S. And that was just kind of the path. Like everyone from that area went to the U.S. And a lot of them went to Florida. That was kind of and I didn't want to go where everyone else went. And um, I thought I wanted to study pharmacy because I remember um, reading some sort of article about how pharmacists will always have jobs and they make a really good living. And I was taking an AP biology and I was not doing well in it and I didn't like it. I didn't even really enjoy science, um, but I was like, yes, I'm going to do pharmacy. So I applied to Northeastern and got into the school of pharmacy. And then I saw the weather report and then I saw the class. <laughs> and I was like, why am I doing this to myself? So then I ended up finding out about Flagler College, which was where my cousin had was just um, transferring to. And I, I remember Google imaging the campus and like beautiful historic St. Augustine. And like it was it's just I don't know if you've ever seen the campus, but it's just so picturesque. 
and it was right on the ocean. And I like love the ocean and I kind of need that connection. It was in a small town. So I was like, okay, I'll apply here, kind of see what happens. And I got in and then I ended up going to the state where I was kind of like avoiding, <laughs> but it was a, it was a good fit for me. No, 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 I didn't. I think I went in undecided. And then I tried to choose a career where there was a little, the least amount of math and science possible. <laughs> and so what, what ended up happening? So you finished your undergrad and then what happened? Yeah, I did my undergrad in, um, in social work and psychology. And I had internships with um, Department of Juvenile Justice and which I really did not like. Um, that wasn't for me. I had a couple other kind of like um, doing social work internships. And then right after um, graduating college, I got a job for Big Brothers Big Sisters. And that kind of like spoke to my heart. Like that's kind of where it was the first place where I felt like, oh, okay. Like this is the side of social work. This is what uh, where you where you can see an immediate benefit. And so I was kind of like a matchmaker where I would uh, go into elementary schools and interview, interview kids who could benefit from having a mentor. And then I would go back to the college where I graduated from and interview, interview college students. And then I would make matches. It was the greatest. And so then I'd oversee the matches and the, um, the contact at each of my schools was the counselor. And so I remember one day having to wait for a student for a while. And I just sat in one of the counselor's office and just kind of started talking to her about her job. And it just kind of clicked. I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like my parents always told me I'd go into education and I, you know, like you don't want to listen to your parents because they don't know you. They only raised you. They don't know you. (laughs) They don't know anything. (laughs) No, they know nothing. Turns out they knew something, but I never wanted to like be a teacher in a classroom. And so this is kind of the way that I was like, okay, like this is something I could do. And it could be a way that I could go back to Panama and work in Panama and always have a job. And so I, I think it was like a week later, I had registered for a um, master's program in school guidance and counseling. And then, yeah, it was the least amount of work I ever had to do in school. School was always hard, but it wasn't like the least amount of work, but it was like, I didn't have to work as hard as I did in everything else because I just loved it. It was just like, it just clicked. So. And so you finished that. And then where did you start your career? So I finished that. I think I had literally graduated in December. By the end of December, I was on a plane moving back to Panama. And I started at my new job in January. Um, so I think I had maybe like two weeks back home. Um, I'd lived in the States, I think, for like seven or eight years. And I had about two weeks back home. And then I started at Babo Academy, which was the school I had actually graduated from um, that when they opened, when the turnover the canal. And I had done my practicum in the U.S. at a high school because all my experience was in elementary. And that's too when it clicked. I was like, oh, I never want to work in elementary. I never want to work in middle school. And I loved the high school side. And so I started in the high school. I loved it. I mean, Babel Academy was a great school because it was like a really small community. Everyone knew each other. And so I had a lot of strengths and I had, you know, a mentor there, which kind of helped me get into counseling, um, a counselor I worked with, but she was also an owner and very busy and thing. And so like, I didn't really have a sense of community as far as like other counselors that I could um, count on. I think a lot of counselors can identify with this, whatever community they're in. Sometimes when you're working for private schools, the schools can seem like competition. 
within that community. But it wasn't until there was um, a crisis in our community that we realized there doesn't need to be competition between the counselors because we're all here for the benefit of the students. And there's none of that kind of drama or competition between us. Mm -hmm. And so with another counselor, um, we founded the Panama School Counselor Association. Also, because I just really needed mentors and I was I felt very alone, you know, because I think teachers They have so many teachers in the school that they can connect with. Counselors, you have maybe one, maybe two, and that's it in the entire school. And some that are um, better funded and have more resources may have three or four or five, which is awesome. But that's that's more of the exception than than really the reality. And I, I don't know if you guys can relate, but it can be kind of lonely at times, especially when there's something big happening in, in your community. So I started the, the we call PASCA. And by the, at that time, I was doing mainly social emotional counseling. But then I started going into the college counseling. And then the PASCA group, which is more based on social emotional, kind of then started going into a different path of just college counseling, which was amazing because I had all these people that we were all doing the same thing. And we were kind of growing together. I think as a group, we were able to offer a lot. We like kind of organized PD together. Then it kind of led into creating the ocean to ocean college fair mm-hmm. um, because at Balboa, I was receiving, I think our school, we were receiving, like we were doing fine for, for university visits, maybe 200 plus universities would come to us throughout the year. But then when talking with other schools in our group, they were struggling to get even, you know, a handful of visits a year. And so there was this kind of like inequality, obviously, you know, the universities would go to the schools where they would get applicants, but if they weren't visiting a school regularly, or maybe the schools didn't have the funds to have the students that would attend those types of schools, they weren't, um, it wasn't as common for them to go visit. And so we, myself and Christine Grover, her and myself, we created the um, Ocean to Ocean Invitational um, College Fair, which started in 2019. And it was basically to um, make sure that as a country, we were all having the opportunities to have important contacts and, and time to meet with university reps. And then we'd build networking events around that and um, kind of like uh, a mini IACAC conference for parents and students, uh, usually after the the college fair. And so it was kind of like a two to three day event that we would host um, and organize every year for about 16, 17 schools around Panama. And so that's kind of like one of the bigger things that we would do as a group, which was really cool. And you're you're saying it was as in past tense. Does it still happen? No, it's still it's still happening. Um, we've had it every year since 2019, but of course it had to adapt because of COVID. We've now been virtual for the last two years, mm-hmm. um, which was really cool actually. Because I mean, as you know, like U.S. universities have a big budget to travel, and they have that flexibility sometimes to be able to go to many different places. And European schools and maybe other schools that don't have that budget have a harder time. And so it gave us an opportunity to make our fair a lot more diverse. And that was actually kind of also meeting the needs of our students, because our students have become so global. And sometimes I feel like they have a map of the world in their bedroom and they just throw darts and see like how many countries can I apply to, to test the knowledge of this task? Cause it's like, they just keep throwing other countries in there every year that I'm like, huh, for example, Australia, we never get applications to Australia ever. Like in my, you know, 13 years working with students. And now in the last two years, like all of a sudden everyone wants to apply to Australia. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn about Australian admissions 
we got this. <laughs> yeah, but so we moved virtual. And then this year um, in September, um, September 22nd, actually, we're going to now morph again and do a hybrid model. So now that we're welcoming back in-person visits, we'll be able to have something different. So I'm going to be learning again and seeing what this will look like, but hopefully we can get back to where we were. But the virtual aspect has been super cool. And it's also kind of opened up an arena for me to help um, uh, kind of mentor other counselors in the area, in the region of Latin America with doing um, virtual fairs as well. So um, that's been something that's also been pretty cool. Jenny, I want to kind of go back to some of the things you were talking earlier on, right? So like I assume that your upbringing or growing up in the canal zone mm-hmm. has kind of influenced your perspective in life mm-hmm. and maybe the philosophies, the values you have. Could you maybe talk a little bit more about that as it relates to what you do? Uh, you know, we're talking about destiny benders, right? Our whole idea is to talk to people who we know are really changing lives out there. And in your case, it's all the students over the past 13 years that you've worked with. So in that context, how does your past come into play as you're working with students, encouraging them to do stuff, changing their lives? Well, I think being a TCK um, a third culture kid, which, you know, like I grew up in a culture that was not my family's culture, but I also grew up in this like bubble. So it was kind of like, am I really a TCK or am I? Mm-hmm. And so it was like this confusion when I moved to the States because I felt I had, you know, had um, dual um, citizenship and I felt when I moved to the States that I was Panamanian. Mm-hmm. But then when I would tell someone, just like that when I, when Jessica, when you asked where I was from and the look on your face, that's the look, of course, right? Like you're from Panama. Wait, what? Um, so that look of confusion um, and then, ha- and then explaining, you know, oh, well, you know, I grew up in this, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so having that conversation, it kind of um, over and over, it kind of also makes me question like, but am I Panamanian? I mean, I have a passport. I was born here, but I grew up saying the Pledge of Allegiance mm-hmm. to the U.S. because of the system I grew up in. And I didn't learn the Panamanian National Anthem until I was an adult. I didn't even really start working on my Spanish until I was an adult. Mm-hmm. And so um, this identity kind of crisis of like, I feel too Panamanian to be American. But when I was in the U.S., they felt I was too American to be Panamanian. And then in Panama, when I tell other Panamanians I'm Panamanian, they think I'm too American to be. So it's like this. Yeah kind of loss of kind of like cultural homelessness, you know, Mm -hmm. because like the community I grew up in doesn't exist anymore, which is actually I'm happy about because it's evolved. You know, Panama has changed and grown so much um, through the turnover that I'm like proud to be part of Panamanian and part of this community. But I think being a TCK has definitely influenced my work with students uh, specifically in the college part, because I think so many kids just kind of go by, you know, the, the, what, what their family tells them they should do or where they should apply. And a lot of times in family meetings, you know, sometimes the parents are kind of leaning that we want my child to go here and do that. And so it's definitely affected the way I work with students. Um, and also trying to understand, because when I moved to international school of Panama, which I've been at now three years, Oh, and I love it. It's such a great school. It's so international, so much more international than Bell Academy. You know, it's very common that our kids have multiple passports mm-hmm. and it's, and have lived in six different countries before coming here. Yeah. 
And so it's this kind of like, you know, I don't ever ask them where they're from. Um, in some of our initial meetings, I'm saying, I ask them, where were you born and where have you lived up until now? So then they have a chance to kind of tell their story. Because if I ask them where they're from, it's like that kind of that same look of like, oh, wait, I have this passport, this passport, yeah. and this passport. My parents are from this culture. I grew up in six different countries. I don't know where I'm from. And so um, I think by opening it up in that way, it kind of gives them a chance to tell their story. And then I like to follow up and, I, and ask them, like, where do you, wh- when someone asks you where you're from, like, what do you say? Like, where do you feel? What culture do you feel the most connected to? And then also them feeling like they have to hide a passport. You know, they're like, well, I have this passport, but should I report this passport because it'll look better? Or should I, you know, and it's just, um, it's, it can be confusing. It can be confusing for them, but also confusing in, in trying to figure out where their next home will be. Because now they've had to move around their entire life. I mean, there's so many benefits. There's so much research on TCKs and all the benefits. But there's also this kind of identity kind of confusion, right, that comes with it that can't be denied. But when you start having those college talks with them, and I'm like, you get to pick wherever you want. You know, that's, I mean, this is assuming that they have the the, the, the profile, they have the funds and everything else or the opportunity for scholarships. But in a way, they get to pick for the, sometimes the first time in their lives on where they can go. And that can be so overwhelming because it's like, okay, here's the world. Now choose. So I just, I love, and I never take it, try, you know, take advantage or realize the, signif- you know, the significance of what we get to do. We get to help them make these like life-changing connections and Sometimes it's with just like one conversation. I mean, I think you can look back in your own lives and think of like one conversation that you had with someone. Like that one conversation I had with a counselor that I was working in when I was working at Big Brothers Big Sisters. I just took and had this extra time in my schedule, how that then kind of veered me into this entirely different direction in life that um, has led me to here. Yeah, it's for sure. For sure. It's impacted my, my work with, with students. I bet they really appreciate that. I mean, just listening to you, um, because I, like you, I I have a passport. I was born here, but I have another passport and I grew up here and my parents are two different cultures and mm-hmm. all of that clashed. And I, if someone asks me that, where are you from question, um, I am like a deer in a headlights because there are different ways that I could answer it. And I'm never really right. sure what's the, how do I feel today? Where am I going to be from today? You know, and it's so comforting when someone totally gets it. They get what you're going through because they're also, you know, going through the same thing and they have the same background or history or, you know, a similar sort of a tale. So it's, I bet your students really appreciate that because you, I can see you get it, you know, you understand them completely and having that adult that can relate to what they're going through. Yeah. But it's also, I know uh, both of you have had such Um, global experiences, it also kind of can create this confused loyalty, right? Yes, it does. There's the the culture that you appear to be part of because of your looks. And there's the culture that you are part of, maybe because of the password, maybe because of your heart or because of where you were born or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then maybe the culture, the dominant culture of your looks you're expected to act a certain way or have certain political beliefs or understandings that you may not relate to at all. Mm-hmm. And so, 
you know, you want to be loyal to one country, but there may also be anger and frustration. And like, you don't want to be put in that box of, um, I have these certain beliefs. I think it's, um, it's a journey. Right. And also I've when like, I have my daughters now in that similar kind of situation where she's yes. going to an international school. Her first language was English, but living in a Spanish country, my partner's Panamanian. So in her house, we're speaking Spanish and um, English. Mm-hmm. And it's this, she's like, but I'm not American. And I was like, well, yeah, sort of, kind of like, yeah. yeah, I guess you have a passport. Like, yeah. I'm Panamanian. And I'm like, yes, you are. It's a journey that never ends. You know, I mean, I'm in the middle of my life, you know, middle age. And I still, I still am figuring it out. And now I'm in another country again, and my children are becoming part of that country. And you just, it's, it's never answered that. Where are you from question? I don't, for some people, I mean, yeah. maybe for some people it is, but you know, for me, it's not answered, but it's me. also left that way. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And no, I get jealous sometimes when people are very confident of who they are, where they're from, what their beliefs are, what the, you know, their, their history, their background, their traditions, and they they know it because it is so much. About, I am a little envious sometimes that I don't know. Completely understand. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would, I would gather that that's a, um, that same envy or jealousy is uh, reciprocated by those who have that definite idea or identity and would want to have this, you know, myriad experiences that they've had in their lives. So Jenny, so, I mean, it's amazing, right? Just your journey so far and all the experiences you've had and the conversations you get to have with your students. I'm just curious, can you think of maybe one student that you worked with or a conversation that you've had that was challenging yet rewarding and you started here and you kind of ended up there i'm sure you've had many of them i know it's hard to pick one but i'm just kind of curious if there was one where at the end of the conversation where you felt like man we really made some progress or we arrived someplace i think sometimes challenging cultural norms and expectations Um, I like to do that. (laughs) Sometimes it's not uh, received as well as I would hope. I can think of one example. I had um, a student from Korea. She's a brilliant artist, just so talented. And every like just she was um, a visual artist, but also she was a musician, just like any anything that where her creativity touched, she just bloomed. The parents had very like kind of linear idea of how her path would go with like economics or business. Um, And so it was really challenging when we were forming her IB um, schedule, we wanted to put, you know, IB visual arts, HL, like, oh my God, she's going to take visual arts, HL. And so it took a lot of coaching with her, first of all, for her to realize that there was actually, she could make a living with having, you know, merging both worlds, business and the arts and having her passion paired with something that like to help her also be able to make a living, you know, like, so that involved a lot of research and a lot of trying to convince her so that she could help convince her parents. And so in the end, after many, many, many meetings with her and her family, she was able to get into, um, she was able to keep it on her schedule. We did negotiate down to a visual arts SL, but still a win. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
she was going to mainly just apply to Korean universities, but now um, she's actually senior now. Now she's applying to some great scholarships at, uh, in different schools in the U.S., some in the Netherlands. Still, um, she's going to apply to, you know, the sky and Korea. Um, and she'll do fine no matter where she goes. But they're open to her having um, kind of like this merge of the arts and business. I think that's the most recent that I can think of. On the flip side, conversations that you've been a part of that's impacted, you talked about the importance of mentors. That's why you created PASCA, but you also had some other mentors, I'm sure. Can you reflect on any of that? Mentors have saved my life. It's, I think it's so important to have even someone that may have be totally different in the way they do things, because not only can you learn from, from them and how they do things, but maybe also they see how you may want to do things differently. Um, so I think everyone comes into your life for a reason. Some of them good, some of them bad, but most of them good. But I've had some incredible mentors. I think one of the first ones was the, the, the counselor that kind of actually that I ended up coming back to Bible Academy and working with because she kind of, she helped me get into my first role as a high school counselor. And I learned a lot from her as well, Gloria Ducre. But then when I was starting with the college stuff, I was just so overwhelmed. Like students would come in and you just kind of like smile and nod. Oh yeah. Yeah. Great lips. And you're like, what are they talking about? Where is this? So just kind of a lot of like faking it until you make it. And so a lot of like afterwards, like, is that a great list? Does she have a chance? Where is this school? I have no idea. And so it was like just trying to make as many connections as possible with the university reps. And there was definitely some key people that like gave me the confidence. Fred Johnson was one of them, just such a beautiful soul. And he was just so kind. And I was just like, he saw my deer in headlights. I think he was one of the first um, university visits that I was in charge of hosting. And I was just like, wait, are all admission reps this nice? Like, because if so, I'm definitely in the right field. So he was one of like the key people who just kind of built up my confidence. And I think Wonka, um, Wonka Milo Tomayo, another one of those beautiful souls that just, just shine the light on everyone that's around. They just like, just by being around these people, you just, you just feel good. If anyone needs help finding a mentor, let me know. I can be your mentor. I've also, I like to think that I've also helped mentor um, other people that are new to the field. Um, I've gotten a chance to work on committees with International ACAC. And man, what an amazing community that we're part of. I have never been part of a professional network that is as giving and caring and generous and not expecting anything in return. It's just, sometimes you just like have to pinch yourself. Like, is this for real? You're sharing all this with me and you expect nothing in return. But it's just such a reciprocal, a reciprocal field because we're, it's all, we're all in it for the reasons to help students and to help make those connections. And we we can be that kind of catalyst that helps move those students in one direction or the other. And it's with the help of admissions representatives that all of this happens. You know, it's just with little conversations here and there, learning things you didn't know or programs you didn't know. So like, oh, mentorship is key. Like I, I wouldn't have had many of the opportunities I've had if it wasn't for the mentors in my life, for sure. So you were just mentioning a bunch of names and I recognize them as being American. Um, so probably most of them from American institutions, 
But you were also saying that your kids are looking at where where they're going to go to college or university, Australia, the Netherlands, probably UK, Europe, all kinds of places, maybe in other countries in Latin America. And when you say university reps and they're coming to visit your school, are you getting reps from other countries as well? Or is it mostly still just American universities and colleges that visit your school? Um, And how do you outreach now that you have students interested in going to Australia? Australia, how are you going to outreach to Australian university representatives to come and visit your school to give talks? Because they may find that there's a, you know, a potential market in your school for, for new students, for their institution back in Australia. How, how do you make those connections? You know, that's, I'm really glad that you pointed that out because I think that these mentors, the, the way that I made those connections is because that's how it used to be when I first started we used to get just mostly reps coming from the U.S. And so those were the ones that I kind of clung on to um, because those are the ones that were coming. And I was like, teach me everything. Help me, you know, like help me learn this very, very confusing um, and always changing job. And so I think that's probably why um, most of them are coming from North America. But that's changed so much. Also, I think partly because the school I was at before was an AP school. So a lot of my students, a majority of them were applying to the U.S. But in my last few years there, that also started to change significantly. And now being at ISP, we have probably just as much students applying outside of the U.S. as we do in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Still, the U.S. is uh, probably the highest um, population of applications that are going out. But where they're matriculating to is so much more diverse now. So I think one of the ways that I've also started to kind of cling on into other reps from around the world is becoming involved with CIS, the CIS organization, you know, visiting uh, universities in Europe. I've also organized um, because one of the things, you know, being in Panama, we didn't have a lot of students applying to universities in Panama. And it was also because I had not. I didn't know a lot about the universities in Panama. And so kind of early in my career, when I first started working with college students is within PASCA, we I organized a Panamanian university bus tour for counselors. And so we just like, if you were going to a university tour in the U S we got a bus and we went around um, and had like visits set up with all the universities in Panama. So just also to understand what resources do we have in Panama that we can utilize? And we've also worked to make partnerships for scholarships for our local students or students that want to stay in Panama. So definitely, like, I don't want to brush that over. We do have students that apply in Panama, but it's since we are in very international school, most of them tend to leave. So, yeah, I've worked really hard to build relationships within Latin America through the LATAM network, with, at which Emily Dobson created that's been an amazing resource for um, learning about what resources are available within Latin America for our students. And then through um, different programs, different groups that I've been connected with, committee work, um, different volunteer associations that I've kind of been able to make more connections outside of that North American network. Yeah, that's great. Well, I mean, you've had an illustrious career so far, and I know you are the 2018 Rising Star Award for International ACAC. So kudos on that. That must be really, yeah, really good. That was fun. That was great. Yeah. Well, Jenny, thank you. This has been such a wonderful conversation. I, I really think we should have another one just to talk about the Canal Zone. <laughs> <Wouldn't you laughs> Me too. 
But, you know, as we do every time, we end on a lighter note. We talk about some, you know, fun, fun things, excuse me. So we call them quick fire questions. So oh, my first quick fire question. I do so bad at these. <laughs> There's no right answer. Any no. answer goes, really. Right. So, Jenny, if you could be paid to live on a paddleboard in the middle of the ocean, would you do that? <laughs> to live on a paddleboard? You know, obviously, I'm joking about how much you love to paddleboard from everything I see. Talk about, yeah. talk about that a little bit. Well, you know, sometimes our field can be stressful. <laughs> and so I think that it's um, always healthy to have an outlet. Um, and a connection to something. And so nature is really important to me. And by being the daughter of a, a ship's captain, you know, we were always on the water and had that connection. And so, um, I mean, in Isthmus, where there's Atlantic and Pacific on either end, uh, on either side. And so, yes, that is one of my most favorite uh, pastimes. It's my, my therapy is my connection to the water. And so I paddle frequently and I will always, that's like my prerequisite. If I'm going to live anywhere, I have to be able to see the water or be close enough to the water and also be able to wear flip-flops um, all year round. I like that. That sounds like a good requirement. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so my question to you is, what's your favorite book of all time? Or do you have one? Oh, that is so hard. I don't know that I have a favorite book of all time. Lately, I've been reading some like historical um, and then some nonfiction. I think one of the things I've really enjoyed doing with my daughters, we're reading Harry Potter series. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I was never in that, you know, when it came out and everyone was freaking out about Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. uh, but now reading it with her, it's been pretty cool to see her kind of imagination and understanding how it's kind of related to society. And like, it's been really interesting. I think I've really enjoyed the Harry Potter. I saw that. Yeah, absolutely. I loved Harry Potter books, the whole series. I devoured them. So I totally get Yeah, them. I watched all the movies. So. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the movies. I guess I have to see no. those now. So Jenny, if you could travel to any place in the world that you've never been to, where would that be and why? Oh, there's so many. You know, I was supposed to go to Portugal in April, 2020 didn't happen. And that has been the top of my list. Um, they're really big in water sports. It's, you know, beautiful coast. I have a lot of friends from Portugal and they're just so amazing. Like I just have like this affinity for the culture. I just, I would love to visit. My mom spent a lot of time in India growing up. So I've wanted to go to India. I have wanted to go to Greece. Probably those are at the top. Well, let me know when you want to go to India. We'll make it happen. Ah, I would love to. Someday. Yeah. Someday. Yeah, I'm really bad wow. at these quick fire questions. They're really hard. <laughs> Do you have any for us? <laughs> we always ask. You know, we never I remember I was in a job interview once. This was so weird. And the person who interviewed me asked me if if a famous person could play me in a or if a person could play me in a movie, who would it be? And I was just like totally like panicked. I'm like, what does that have to do about my counseling skills? And I said my <laughs> sister because she would know me best. And I was like, that was so lame. So now I'm going to throw that back at you guys. If someone could play you in a movie, who would it be? I've been asked this question before <gasps> many times, actually. And I usually used to say Andy Garcia. Oh, good one. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Jessica? For me, um, oh my God. Um, 
I, I, I'm drawing a complete blank. I'm, at this point in my, in, you've, you've thrown me so much that I can't actually think of a single actress of any sort of age of any, anything. Meryl Streep's the only person coming to my head. She's about 20 years older than I am. So but she's so amazing. But she is amazing. She is amazing. Yeah. That's how I felt Have in my interview. <laughs> no, no I never gave it any that? thought after that. I was just so annoyed with the question. Really? Because here's the yeah. first name that came to mind, Reese Witherspoon. Oh, he's good. <laughs> I love Reese Witherspoon. That's I'll take I that. I'll take that. <laughs> well, Jenny, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for making time. This has been great. I uh, would love to chat more about the Canal Zone. I'll see you at International ACAC for sure. We'll, we could chat oh, some more there. I'll be there um, for sure. But really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us today. Yeah, it was fascinating. Thank you so much, Jenny. And thank you both. I really appreciate you giving me the space. Join us for the next episode of Destiny Benders when we speak with Dan Liu Liu, the founder and managing director of Educatus and the vice chairman of the British University's China Association. See you next time.